0: This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
1: On this August 10th, this Wednesday morning, we say a, uh, well, it's morning right now. Maybe you're catching this in the afternoon, in the evening. Maybe you're listening to this at three in the morning. I love we get emails from real talkers every once in a while in the in those uh, the early morning hours. If that's when your creative juices flow, you're the same as me that's when we hammer things out and get things done and do some of our most significant thinking. And uh, we have evidence of that with some of the emails we want to get to today. Jesperson here with Hicks, and we wanted to start the show today with a shout-out to Brenda, who chimed in on our live chat just a moment ago. She says to us on this Wednesday, she apologizes for being late. This is where Brenda and I will never see eye to eye. It's not a bad thing, Brenda. I'll acknowledge right now you're in the right, I'm in the wrong. But Brenda was just late being as early as she usually is when i'm late i'm late <laughs> brenda says i'm sorry i'm late to the chat she says i was just listening to seriously uh, which filled our buckets a new episode uh of seriously with Supri and ryan is out and thanks to everybody who checks it out everybody that uh subscribes to seriously with Supri and ryan wherever you get your podcast you can subscribe on youtube uh, you can check it out online at seriouslypod.com and you can follow us on all the social media platforms. We work
2: hard on Wednesdays, that's for sure. We get <laughs> it's here been a the, long day already. We get here before the rooster starts crawling. Uh, oh, growing. man. <laughs>
1: and uh, big shout out to you, John, uh, doing just an amazing job oh, on that yeah, project. Stop, we're having a lot of stop. fun with it. It's a different vibe. Here on Real Talk, we have the, the uh, you might call it like a news magazine format, we have the longer form conversations where we really get into stories, uh, two of them coming up today. It's going to be a difficult conversation about a half an hour from now with two alumni from this Saskatoon private school that is all over the news. It's it's Legacy Christian Academy. It used to be known as Saskatoon Christian Center Academy. You may have seen it online, people talking about CCA. This is the school where 18 former students have come forward, and, and you could maybe say 18 and counting alleging circumstances of abuse they talk about being isolated being gaslit being manipulated the school officials allegedly conducting gay exorcisms paddling students putting them into solitary confinement one of those students as a matter of fact the one that got the ball rolling on this with a a pretty powerful Facebook post a while ago is Sean Kotelmag. And Sean's going to join us along with, we think, Jillian Kudrick. That'll be in about a half hour, and we'll get into that story. That's one that's receiving national attention for a number of different reasons. People want to talk about accountability in private schools. People want to talk about oversight and safety for students in schools like these. And, of course, many people, including Government official opposition in Saskatchewan want to talk about funding for private or charter schools. I know we're opening up a can with this story, and it's probably about Dan time. That's going to be a powerful conversation, no doubt. Before then, we're going to talk to a former colleague of both Johnny and myself with the NHL's Edmonton Oilers. Yeah. None of us work for the team anymore, (laughs) which means we can speak freely, but but Jeff Nash is going to join us. He's a hockey dad, but Jeff's also worked in hockey on a number of different angles. This is a classic example, and you'll see this on Real Talk. It seems like every couple of months we'll do something like this. Someone will send us an email or a Twitter thread or what have you, and it's so good and it's so powerful. That after reading the first couple of paragraphs, I will immediately conclude that to properly do justice to the perspective, I cannot simply read the email to you. I can't just read the email on the podcast. We've got to get this person in their own words on the show. And Jeff Nash has agreed to do that. He's wrestling with his kid's future in hockey based on this Hockey Canada scandal, but he's an optimist about it, too. And there's a lot of layers to how Jeff approaches this. He's the founder of this rinks project we're going to talk to you about as well. Super cool Instagram and podcast initiative. He celebrates uh, the outdoor rink. I mean, I know that that's a classic Canadiana sort of exercise for a lot of families in the winter months. He built one this past winter and documented it. Uh, All the news stations were talking about it. He had a ton of attention on Instagram around it, but it helped shape or form his opinions on his family's involvement with hockey moving forward. And I think it's going to be a good one. We also have an email from Brad about that too. I want to get into it right out of the gates today. Brad was in touch with us to talk at RyanJesperson.com. You know, we chatted about this yesterday, obviously, and the conversation will continue the world juniors kicking off in Edmonton yesterday um, amid these allegations of sexual abuse involving Team Canada players from 2003 2018 so it's uh, I don't mean to be glib and I don't mean to, to uh, use a word that doesn't carry enough power but it's an awkward time. It's a very awkward time for many of Canada's hardcore hockey fans including Brad. Brad says I'm not I'm not here to defend Hockey Canada or anything like that. what has happened is horrifying clearly he says like that contingency fund for example the one that was uh, paid out millions of dollars to to complainants to people who uh, have survived alleged sexual assaults and and were essentially can i use the word placated uh, they were silenced in in some ways the 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 allegations or, or the potential suits were settled out of court with this contingency fund millions of dollars some of those dollars no doubt coming in from hockey registration fees it's why a lot of us are wrestling with this. Brad says the fund in large part, I think like the, the vast majority probably feel the same about this. I think, but of course I can't say for sure. Um, I think a lot of that money was probably used to pay damages to survivors or victims of Graham James in particular. And that's an important detail we need to discuss. It's it's not a fund that has specifically been created to cover up crime, Brad says, and and I seem to be hearing that implied and I wanted to address it with regards to how I personally feel. This affects really nothing about me or how I feel watching Team Canada. This is a bigger problem, says Brad, a societal problem. But these allegations are high profile examples. Anything related to hockey gets our nation's attention. But I do think this is an every corner of society problem. He says it's a politics problem. It's a problem in industries like construction. He says what about filmmaking? Look at Hollywood. This is an everything problem. And Brad says as I continue to listen, I do agree with with what I'm hearing about how terrible this is and how disgusting it is and and there's just like this tickle in the back of my mind that feels like maybe we're maybe we're missing something. He says, I I think that hammering Hockey Canada, talking about fees and, and people needing to be fired, some of this does need to happen. It should happen. But I do think that Canada should be participating in this tournament. He says, I don't know. It feels to me like too much and not enough at the same time. It feels like maybe if we were to cancel our participation in the World Junior Hockey Championship, it might let society in general off the hook in a way. He says, I think I need to keep stewing on this, and I appreciate your continued coverage. It's like Brad's wrestling with this as he writes the email. It's evident, and I really appreciate that, too. We're going to get to some emails as well a little bit later on in the show. One of you, Anton, has a theory about that essay Bronze medal winner, you know, the one that we talk about it on Seriously in this week's episode, Out of the Gates. I wasn't for sure guaranteed that Supriya was going to get into it, but I suspected that she might want to tee that up. And it just goes to Mm -hmm. show that people across the country are paying attention to this podium placing essay that essentially drags out Nazi theories from the 1930s. If you don't believe me, just wait till the emails were about to get in. One from Jenny, who wrote in particular, very powerful stuff. Jenny of Jewish faith or at least Jewish heritage. She writes in on her perspective, the idea of so-called foreigners replacing Albertans, the idea of medals being bestowed upon families that have more than two kids. Jenny, with a bit of a history lesson for us. And so those are coming up a little bit later on in the show. Before we get to the Hockey Canada story, I want to remind you that this is a perfect time today for you to swing by covenantfoundationlottery.ca and get your ticket to support continued health care in this region. You know, 30 years of life-changing wins through the Covenant Foundation Lottery, but they need your support today. It's been for over 160 years that Covenant Health has made a huge difference for patients and their loved ones. They've been at the forefront of tech innovation, and they've been a leader in palliative and urgent care. Well, you can help that legacy continue by getting your tickets today, a chance to live in life-changing luxury with a $2.2 million dream home. You can see all the details. Get your tickets at covenantfoundationlottery.ca. We already know your plan if you win this, Johnny. You're going to live <laughs> in it for one calendar year to avoid the taxes, and then you're going to sell it. I think if I were to win this house, I think I'd make the move in. 2.2 2 mil, pal. It's a nice I mean,
2: house. It's just too big for me. you got the family, right? Yeah,
1: but Think of the parties you could throw on your backyard patio, your botanical room. The coolest part about it, it's furnished and ready to move in. You can find out more about these prizes at covenantfoundationlottery.ca or give them a call at one 888 944 two seven seven four and keep an eye out for the festive dream dollars initiative and a whole bunch of other cool reasons to get involved our friends at Athabasca university yeah we know they're in the news and we're going to be covering this story coming up we hope by week's end Of course, there's a lot of levers being pulled when it comes to the funding for Canada's online university, but that's not why I'm talking about them right now. I'm talking about them now to remind you that the online element of Athabasca University makes it a perfect fit for thousands of Canadian students, regardless of where they are. Even better, The online programs and courses give you the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. You're never going to fall behind in your course because you had a family emergency or because you wanted to travel or because you needed a day on the patio with your friends. You work at your own pace at AthabascaU.ca. I talk a lot about our hashtag, Real Talk RJ. You know that's powered by the team at Park Power. They want to remind you about the blog section on their website. Just go to parkpower.ca and scroll down. You can learn a whole bunch about some of the stories that relate to the services that they provide. That includes thoughts on where the pricing or perhaps access to natural gas. I mean, everybody's taking a look at inflation and rising rates. You want to know, should they be capped? Should I have a variable rate or a fixed rate? What's the right fit for our family? Great resources available at parkpower.ca where the promo code 2022-REALTALK knocks $70 off your first bill from Park Power. And while we're at it, let's remind you that if energy is your jam, I mean, if you're looking, driving past neighborhoods, new neighborhoods, heritage neighborhoods, and it's the solar panel installations that catch your eye, you're just like me, you can appreciate the clean install, and you'll wonder how much it's changed their bottom line. Kubi Energy is your number one first stop. That's kubienergy.ca for a free quote today. They've got all the details on this $40,000 interest-free loan. It's available from the federal government right now so you can get started on your sustainable energy goals. Forty dollars an interest-free loan. Why not get started on your solar transition today at kubienergy.ca? So I get this email yesterday. I recognized the name, Jeff Nash from offshoot studios. He says, just why I, I'm watching the show and your segment about hockey Canada. He says, I've written out many threads on Twitter, but I always default to saving them in my draft folder because of the fear, to be honest. Why? I don't particularly know. Nasher goes on to say, it's something that I've been meaning to get off my chest, uh, maybe to help parents that are on the fence. I don't know. He says, I'm also looking to register one of my sons in hockey this year for the first time. Jeff says, I got a complex relationship with the sport besides coaching, working as an agent. I've seen the sport from every angle, like player, official, you know, Zamboni driver, rec hockey participant, hockey production. At the highest levels, I have deep roots in the sport. And he goes on from there. As mentioned, I reached out to Jeff and I said, "You got to just join me on the show, pal. Let's talk this out." And he's agreed to do it. I'm grateful for it. It's a pleasure to welcome Jeff Nash to the show. In uh, what probably, John, correct me if I'm wrong, is a top five studio setup all time for a real had talk guest.
2: I had a feeling it would be. We uh, knew brilliant. that he
1: wasn't going to check in from some lousy basement studio. <laughs> Nash. Most people are going to hear this on the podcast, so let's <laughs> describe you. It looks to me like you're you're surrounded by seats from the old rink.
2: Yep. Yeah, I got some uh, some old Rexall <clears throat> place seats. Uh, spent many many days, just like yourself, in the in the old barn. And um, I've got, you know, I just kind of collected stuff when I worked uh, in the NHL. I collected uh, toques and beanies and pucks and jerseys and press passes and patches and everything. So I kind of made a little home studio for uh, uh, my YouTube channel. And so, yeah i think it looks good <laughs>
1: shout, shout out for the uh the old poly 2k the paul korea sweater behind you that's my i love that anaheim ducks jersey i just i know some people i, I that's one of my favorites and paul korea one of the all-time
2: greats out of canada Not, people don't talk about paul korea enough do you agree yeah he's uh he's kind of a quiet uh you know being half japanese like myself um <clears throat> having roots in the asian community he's uh we're, we're pretty reserved, um, which is ironic because I'm on the show talking. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, we're we're pretty pretty quiet. Uh, we kind of try to let the, uh, the the action on the ice speak for itself. And he was a uh, definitely an idol of mine growing up when I played uh, minor and junior hockey.
1: Jeff, I'm really grateful that you've agreed to talk to us on the show. Your email impacted me. I read it twice back to back when you sent it, and it was a long one. You poured out your heart. And what (laughs) I especially appreciate about this and and where I think that a lot of people are going to relate to this conversation is this isn't people that are looking to pile on the sport. This isn't people that have had an animosity toward hockey or hockey players or hockey culture uh, forever and have been looking to grind an axe or bury those for whom they have had a great degree of disdain but you're not ignoring some of the very real issues that are plaguing this sport. Take us into your relationship with the sport. It's pretty self-evident based on your background and what you've told us to this point, but I know you've been wrestling in a way that a lot of people have, including me.
2: Yeah. Um, so, you know, like you mentioned off the top, you know, I, I played minor hockey, I've officiated, um, you know, worked for, worked for hockey, Canada worked for the Oilers and uh, <clears throat> seen, seen the sport almost in, in every direction and angle. And, um, and I, and I love it. Like that's the one of the biggest struggle that I have with the sport is, is I absolutely love the sport. Um, I still play to it, play, uh, rec hockey and, and, uh, still love watching uh, hockey all the time. Uh, but you know, there, there's a flip side of that too. And there's things that that I endured as a junior hockey player growing up, uh, in the late nineties. Um, and, and some other experiences during, during minor hockey, like not all negative, but there's definitely things that I, uh, endured uh, during my time playing hockey that I, I don't want to like, it's prevented me from signing my kids up for hockey because I don't want them to endure uh, some of the things that, uh, that, uh, that I've uh, went through and stuff. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a real struggle. And when I watched the episode yesterday, you know, I've been, uh, it's been a busy summer for me. So I've been kind of in and out of watching the news what's happening, but you know, take the last few years with hockey, Canada, Kyle beach, like there's a, there's a lot of things that are making the headlines and, uh you know, it just it keeps in my head. I wrestled with this. Like, I love the sport, but uh, there's things that I don't like about it. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, the I hope the majority of that email that I sent you was kind of like I talked to with some friends and stuff. And and I want to be, I want to try to be a part of 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 the change. You know, not just looking at it and saying, oh, you know, get over it, sweeping it on the rug, like it happened ages ago. What? Why are we talking about it? I I want to be a part of uh, my kids' uh, hockey. Uh, career and, and to other uh, parents, hopefully, to look at me and go, you know, you know, we don't, we don't like certain things about it. We want to change it.
1: Well, and, let, and let's be honest, in life, uh, maybe this isn't the case for everybody, but I know it's it's certainly the case for me that sometimes when you're being called to the carpet, or when something that you are, or something that you represent, or something that you love, is proven to be at fault or to be problematic, <clears throat> or to, or it can get very uncomfortable, and we don't like to be uncomfortable and sometimes we're hesitant to make others uncomfortable. And so we choose not to go there. I mean, I was really intrigued by you saying that, you know, you've, you've written these long thoughtful
2: Twitter threads, but but they're all in your saved draft folder because, because why? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I, when you say that now, I'm like, well, now I'm on the show talking about it. So that's, that's obviously that hesitations, uh, uh, you know, you encourage me to, to it. speak out. So, uh, but yeah, you know, I think, hockey is like like it always gets compared to religion in this country and uh, often people when they say anything anything negative towards it you know there, there's blowback there's people like oh man like come on you know shut up don't why are we bringing this up uh the sports' fine and stuff like that and what people don't re- what they don't realize is that when issues like this come up even the hockey Canada stuff even the Kyle beach and the Black stuff is uh, progression comes from it. You know, if you don't address these issues, you do if you don't talk about it, if you don't uh, try to understand how to deal with it appropriately, there's no progression in the sport. And I think that's what's lost in people. People don't want to feel uncomfortable, but with that uncomfortable feeling comes um, – a silver lining there's something that comes out of it so hopefully next time um if it does ever happen again whatever it is that there's a plan in place and we can deal with it appropriately and i think that's that's what's missing is people get really uptight like don't talk about hockey like that but uh, if we talk about these difficult things um things happen and and there's been some progression in the sport in the email i wrote you um you know i do take small wins like uh, you know, you do see more women in sports Uh nhl's is hiring more women um, involved in, in uh, management positions. Um, you know, even the, the land acknowledgement at Oilers games, like I, I look at those as, as like they're small, but they're big wins and they really matter to people it's huge. Uh, that they affect. Right. And, you know, the Oilers should take pride in, in that they're, I think they're the only ones that do it in the league and that that's, that that's big. And so when we have these uncomfortable uh, conversations good things come from it. And I think that's what people miss.
1: You know, it's interesting, and it's Chief Wilton Littlechild, for people that haven't had a chance to attend an Euler's game in person, that delivers that land acknowledgement. I mean, he's he's the one that just put a headdress on the Pope for perspective. I mean, this guy has been a major figure in, can I call it the reconciliation movement, at least, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. in Treaty 6, Treaty 7 territory, uh, and into Treaty 8. I mean, his impact has been widely felt, I'll be honest, just anecdotally, Jeff. I thought that the Oilers would do that land acknowledgement one time I thought it was like I I was actually surprised that it became a regular part of the pregame where it is delivered before every game and I think it's fantastic (laughs) I also think that the Oilers and and I we don't have to spend all our time talking about the Oilers it's not particularly (laughs) about the Oilers uh but uh also they were the first NHL team to rock the pride tape in a pregame warm-up and you look at some of the embarrassing things that are happening in Alberta right now, and and quite frankly, the reputation that Alberta has, either deserved or undeserved, we can debate that. Across the country is a bunch of redneck hillbillies, and you look at the leadership that the Oilers have shown in the heart of oil country on some of the more progressive or empathetic. Uh, initiatives. And, and I think that the team deserves a lot of credit. You make a good email, though. And again, this is a comment. Now, the bigger picture, the hockey world in general, in your email to me, you said you do see some, you say women executives being hired and you see some of the movements around uh, the <clears> right <throat> to play movement and, and, and around minorities in sport and the LGBTQ2S plus community, et cetera. But you do make a good point and you're not wrong. You say it's mostly reactionary, which I think is an Ye- important point, too.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, um, and I think that's uh, maybe a, a side issue that kind of, um, I wish was better in hockey is that, um, someone on, on leadership or on, um, uh, on exec level has the foresight to, to look into the future and, and read, you know, the tea leaves, so to speak and say, okay, what's going to be coming up? What are things going to, uh, that are going to come up as issues? And, um, you know, racism, um, uh, you know, hockey is for everyone. These, these initiatives, um, I think, you know, th- they have good intentions. The print tape is, is an awesome symbol. Um, and hopefully that uh, snowballs into more just kind of, uh, culture things in the sport. Cause it, it definitely needs more support that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, the stuff that has come out, um, whether it's in the NHL hockey, Canada or minor hockey, um, you know, you would think from a from an organizational standpoint it kind of makes sense that they they don't want to address it because you know it means that they have to acknowledge it and admit admit a lot of stuff that's happened um but a lot of these initiatives are uh, uh are things that happen are after the fact like a big big thing has happened and then the NHL is like okay this is how we're going to fix it or this is we're launching our new uh, uh hockey's for everyone campaign and stuff like that and it would be nice if, if there was staff or or executive on the boards or whatever, that to look at society as a general and be like, okay, so how does this fit into hockey and how can we uh, adapt hockey to meet uh, these societal issues uh, going forward? But yeah, it's, it's mostly reactionary. And I think again, for, you know, someone with a Japanese background with the, with the racism thing, it's great to see, but uh, you know, uh, players of all races have been been dealing with uh, that in hockey for a long time. Still, yeah, still. I mean, I mean
1: you, you talked about Kyle Beach and the Chicago Blackhawks and, and the alleged sexual mm-hmm. abuse and, and and that kind of stuff. But I mean, what about like Bill Peters being fired as uh, head coach? You know, I mean, we, we've seen some like like yesterday, Jesh Vina Shah's on the show, um, author of Game Misconduct. She joined us from the States and she's talking about John Van Beesbrook, who's like still calling a, a ton of the shots with USA hockey. I mean, that's still a major issue. Uh, I'd yeah. love for people to find you on Twitter and Instagram. You're the founder of this Rinks Around the League project. They can find you at underscore the rinks. Can you tell us how building this ODR, this outdoor rink, this backyard rink with your kids has has shaped or contributed to your perspective right now?
2: Yeah, so mini rink I uh, <laughs> built honestly on a whim uh, a little bit because we had the big dump of snow and, and my yard is really uneven. So that's why I haven't built a rink in it. And we got this huge dump of snow and I was like, you know what, I'm just, I want to try, I want to build it. And so, you know, when I emailed you, I, I mentioned that it was kind of twofold. One, I wanted to kind of do it for, excuse me, my, my YouTube channel to show people like, uh, you know, you don't need, uh, you don't really need plastic or boards or anything. You, you just need snow and, and water. Um, and maybe if you wanted to paint your ice, you can do a little paint. Um, to make a really cool rink. Um, and the second uh, reason why I built it is, is to get my kids out, you know, COVID, you know, rewind to last year. At this point, we were all worried about back to school, if, if schools are going to go back into in person and, and the Christmas break uh, when we had a, I, I can't remember what wave we were on at that point, but uh, you know, I needed, my kids needed to go outside. I think mom and dad's mental health really uh, uh, needed to uh, a break. So I, I built this rink and kind of, the the really cool byproduct of it is that my kids uh in particular my my sons uh just grew to love the sport and you know I worked gosh uh, a better part of a decade in pro sports and you know it wasn't meeting Wayne Gretzky it wasn't uh working for the team and and flying all over the north america with with a professional club that got my my boys into oh I want to try hockey it was I built this rink they went out on it and my youngest, in particular, just was hooked every single day. Minus 40, it forty didn't matter. Like, and that's that's kind of what got me to realize that, uh, you know, my my children got to experience a sport in its purest form, which is just a frozen sheet. You go out and play, you uh, you spend some energy. He wanted to get better at it and stuff. And um, you know, it's that love of the game that I think we all come back to, and I think that's what we wrestle with with all the stuff coming out. Is like we all love this game. Um, and we have to remember that it is a game. You know, it's not necessarily our children growing up to be the next uh, Connor McDavid. It's about you know reconnecting with the sport at its purest form and having fun. And I think that was uh, an amazing byproduct of the rink is that my kids uh, got to experience the game how I did when I was a kid, grew up to love it, and I think that's kind of was a major sway into rethinking uh, signing my kids up for hockey. So you've got this this love of the game implanted in your
1: kids now and 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 they've they've felt, I mean, to me, like some of the greatest sounds on planet Earth are, are like a, a skate blade cutting through ice on an outdoor rink or that echo, you know, of the... Of, it sounds the, different. The,
2: when it's minus 40, oh my God, oh. The, the sound of steel on, on ice, it just sounds cold. <laughs> it does sound cold and my feet are actually, my toes
1: are feeling cold right now as we're talking. It's like this subliminal thing. So you're, yeah. so you're considering... Entering your kids into minor hockey. I, sh- I talked about this with Josh yesterday. Like uh, I said, I had two windows open on my computer. One of them is her piece in the globe saying that Hockey Canada might need to be disbanded if they can't figure this out. And the other tab is me paying my entry fee for my little guy to play Hawks hockey uh, yeah. this winter. And and I I just I'm just being honest. Like it just was a, it's a it's a strange place to be. And we want to make the right decision, not just as parents or hockey parents but also as humans, as Canadians, mm-hmm. as empathetic people. And I thought it was really interesting as, as you divulged in this email that I'll bring this back to you again. You say, based on your experiences in junior hockey in particular, with hazing in particular, <clears throat> that had precluded you from even considering entering your kids in the sport before. So how are you reconciling that now? Can you shine some light on the hazing experience and, and how that impacts you to this day?
2: Yeah, so <clears throat> I don't... Uh... Um, I've kind of addressed it publicly a little bit, especially when, um, um, you know, Kyle Beach's story came out. Um, the hazing that I endured in, in junior hockey is, is, as as bad, if not worse. I think it really put it in perspective. I was having a, we, I played Friday night rec hockey and, uh, we had a young, younger kid with us. I call him kid. He's probably like 30, 32, um. And we kind of got talking into hockey and stuff. And I don't know why the, the topic of hazing came up, but I, he's like, well, come on, like, what did you endure? And um, I kind of told him a couple of things. And he's just like, Oh geez. Yeah, that's, that's bad. And um, you know, I, I'll put it this way. When, when I went through the hazing, uh, when I played junior hockey, the way I saw it was, uh, and maybe this speaks to hockey culture is that I, I as a kid at the time, understood it as kind of a part of the process, like in order to, uh, uh pay your dues per se. Um, that was part of the process of, of well being welcomed into the junior hockey world. Um, you know, I, you know, weeks prior to hazing going on the, the vets on the team are like, Oh, rookies, you're, you're going to get it. You're going to yeah. get it. And they kind of like, you know, you just wait, you never know what's going to happen. And I'll never forget. Um, after practice one day we were all in the locker room and uh, some of the vets were walking around and, and like, who wants to go first? And me being, uh, you know, wanting to prove myself and and me being uh, uh, a young kid, I, I put up my hand because I didn't want to show them that I was afraid. You know, I, I wasn't going to be afraid of what they were going to do to me. And, uh, you know, that, that happened. Um, a lot of stuff happened and uh, uh, we – After that happened, uh, I think they did a couple groups. So it was like me and like, I I would say about four other rookies at the time. And they did it in stages. And I think the first night was obviously the worst because after that, um, management did catch wind um, and they kind of put a, put a shutdown to it. Um, I mean, nowadays talking with other players and stuff, it's, it's no more, then, you know, they, they take them out and, and, and get them, you know, have drinks and they have to wear uh, embarrassing clothing and stuff like that. Um, I mean, as a kid, I, I understood it was a mechanism to kind of embarrass you and belittle you and welcome you to the team. And after what I went through was done, um, one of the senior guys came up, shook my hands and said, welcome to the team. And I actually felt good about it like you as a kid playing hockey you're like okay i'm in you know i'm in i'm in with the with the the group and next season i get to do it to the rookies yeah well i knew right then i was not going to be doing any part of the hazing um it was bad um i went through it but i had no part uh moving forward in any of that because it's uh, i think even then i recognized that it was bad um but as you get older and you understand that some things aren't appropriate <laughs> um, well Jeff it's it was... like we don't
1: have to get into we're not g- going to get into the details I, I hinted at something earlier and then and then even to be honest with you mentally after we did that episode of Real Talk I thought that maybe wouldn't have been mine to share even naming the junior hockey club that a friend of mine played on I certainly didn't talk about what his hazing looked like but he told mm-hmm. me and it's brutal it's sexual assault is what it was Basically, um, and, yeah. and, 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 and there's physical abuse and everything that comes with it uh, I don't want to say but but let me say uh, in things like I'm sure like the Navy SEALs, probably the Canadian Armed Mm -hmm. Forces, different team structures, maybe even starting work in kitchens. I mean, we've talked Mm -hmm. about in hospitality, there's issues, there's issues in many different industries. There is that idea of paying your dues, of earning your stripes, of becoming part of the team, of showing that, you know, the value of work. And that might be something like the rookies on the team loading the hockey bags onto the bus with the trainers. And I think that there can be value to a certain degree with newcomers to a team or group doing something to establish themselves as part of that group to so-called earn those stripes. I do think that there's part of that that provides some value, but it's just gone so far past that, that it gets to the point now where to walk it back, you almost get to a point where you believe that we've got to just stop it full stop. The lines
2: have become so blurred. Yeah. And I think, um, I think, uh, compared to a lot of hockey players and people involved in the game, I think my other, uh, experiences in life, um, i I spent 10 years in nonprofits. I work for children's camps. Uh, I was a program director for, you know, 50, uh, young adults that came over, uh, the, the country to work with, uh, kids with special needs and stuff. Um, there's a way to, to handle that. It's just, it's just a matter of they're being taught, you know, I don't, you know, there's people that, uh, and rightfully so, deal with these issues, whether it's legally or not. Um, I look at my time during what I experienced. I recognize the mechanism of it, and you know, I've kind of made peace with it. I recognize it's wrong, and I recognize that it's it shouldn't be it shouldn't be uh, anything that was foreign. And um, honestly, that the I don't even I can't even remember who did it to me. I was blindfolded at times, so I don't even know. But like uh, the people who did it to me were probably taught that from somebody else. And so my experience with with nonprofits and camps. Uh, the way we do it um it's not necessarily hazing per se but it, to your point there's there's a, a time and a place for people to understand like uh, to to pay your dues like you said yeah but with my experience with working with nonprofits there is there's a, a much more productive way to go about doing it rather than embarrassing and belittling and and doing illegal stuff like there's <laughs> there's a way there's a way to do it where you celebrate them on the team rather yeah. than uh, treating them like dirt. So yeah. It's there's, like, there's a way at at it, to do it. The, so. the
1: corporate team building idea of like, every, I mean, Kinda, yeah. everybody yeah. does yeah. the trust fall or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was oh, like, yeah. for, for a lot of people like me, that's actually their worst nightmare is the corporate team <laughs> building. But, but you're right. I mean, there's different ways to endear somebody or welcome somebody or, 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 or integrate somebody into a team atmosphere. That because what, what happens, team.
2: what happens with what I experienced and maybe what your friend uh, also experiences that, then, it's, then it spills into, well, do I want my kid to be a part of this? And that's what they don't think about at the time. But then, you know, it manifests in your head of like, well, I don't want my kid to, to, to do this. And that's kind of, you, you talk about how it affected me later in life. That did resonate with me. And I think um, the, the thing that trumped all that was mini rank and seeing my kids uh, genuinely love the game and the sport um, that trumped. And, and hopefully when they uh, play hockey this fall, you know, They'll fall in love with it like I did, and, and hopefully I can try to mitigate as, as much as the negative stuff as much as possible.
1: I, I highlighted one thing, well, many things in your email, but one of them <laughs> was uh, you said, I also feel, uh, well, you said you said to, to, to see if the sport at that level has changed at all. That's what you're entertaining the idea of your kids playing. You say it's going to basically this season be a <laughs> trial. To see if the culture has changed enough that I'll let my son be a part of it because in the end he can play other sports, you say. But I also feel like it's an opportunity for me as a dad to be the change in hockey culture. And I think that that's an amazing area for a lot of people to find focus, including me.
2: Yeah, and I think that's maybe another thing that gets lost in all this is that, uh, you know, the the organizations at the top level are you know they're they're having to wear everything that's happened right now because of the way they kind of dealt with things and uh, at the end of the day when it comes to especially amateur sport not just in hockey but all sports across um, um, the board is that uh, we have the the biggest impact it doesn't uh, you know hockey canada the nhl or i don't know what the the soccer football leagues are whatever in, in canada Um, they can put all the rules in place they want. But at the end of the day, it's the coaches and the parents at at the ground level that have the opportunity to really influence their, their kids and other kids too on, you know, how to behave. Um, You know, the line of when kids play hockey that they, they dress up in suits and are are taught to be proper gentlemen, you know, off the ice, you know, Um, and, and to really foster that and show kids that, you know, if, Know, xyz happens in a locker room no that's that's not okay i don't care about the code of the room where you know what state what happens in a locker room stays in a locker room if, if some certain things happen like no that's that's look, not okay well, look where
1: that's gotten us
2: yeah exactly it, it's and for the longest time especially when you're in hockey especially when you're in hockey it's it's really you, you kind of live by that code it's almost like an honor code like well nope we don't talk about what happens in the room um but there's there's certain limitations to that like obviously if you're you know you know joking around or, or talking about stuff like yeah okay you know you can talk about, uh, like buddies like kind of like rec rec hockey rooms today like we all talk about it's it's funny the conversation switches more to daycare and insurance and prices and stuff like that the it's conversation definitely people changes. might think yeah yeah um and uh but you know it's being a, a role model um and hopefully i i, I am that like that for for my kids and for whoever he plays with this winter. And I think that's, I challenge all parents that if you are kind of on the fence, um, ask your kids if, if they love the sport. It's, I have a hard time parents pulling something away because of what other people's do. So if, if you're not happy with the way Hockey Canada or the hockey culture is, um, you, you can pull them out and that's fine. But I also think that if, if your kid is wanting to play um, you can foster that love of the game because hockey does bring a ton of great stuff. I mean, it, I built my life and my career almost around the sport. I still love the sport, regardless of what happened to me in junior hockey, regardless of all the stuff that happens. Like I, uh, there's nothing uh, uh, beats the feeling of, of just playing hockey and going out for a skate. So, you know, no, 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 one's going to be able to take that away. And I think that's the one thing that out of all the stuff that I experienced is you know, whatever they did to me in that locker room in junior hockey is not going to take away my love of the game. Like that's, that's permanent. I, I will live with, live with that my whole life.
1: You can find Jeff Nash, uh, subscribe to his YouTube channel rinks around the league. He's on Instagram and Twitter as well. And I'm so grateful. Uh, you're obviously a, a a very thoughtful guy, Jeff. I know that you've, you've, you've really contemplated whether or not you wanted to put this all out there on the record. And I know that uh, this is going to benefit a lot of folks like me who are really wrestling with where we stand on this and what moving forward looks like, taking a position of leadership in our own family units, in our communities and at the rink. Thanks for doing and, this.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me. And, and if, if you are a parent, I'm sure you can reach out to, to Ryan here, but um, r- reach out to me. Like I, people who have had these real experiences um, we can help hopefully tip the scales on, on, making that decision for your child this, this winter, but, uh, yeah, reach out. I mean, the the worst part of all this is making a decision on your own without uh, talking with parents and just talking in general. So yeah, reach out to, to myself or Ryan or another parent. Uh, it, it's important to talk about these things because uh, I think at the end of the day, you'll feel better about it. Jeff Nash looking forward to
1: the next time our paths cross, pal. Thanks for doing this. Thanks Ryan. Yep. Take care. You got it. Whew. Talk at Ryan com is where you can send us an email and, and take Jeff up on his offer. I know that he it, it, it's it's obvious uh, he's coming at this from a sincere standpoint and he wants to start these conversations or continue these conversations. That's very evident. And, and he has my respect full on. If your family is looking to maybe expand the capabilities of what your road tripping looks like, if you're looking to pick up a truck or maybe an SUV that can pull that trailer that you've either just bought or maybe you're thinking of investing in, you know, there's some great tools for you, shopping tools in a sense, online at SherwoodDodge.com and StAlbertDodge.com. Videos on, on how you can connect with your new vehicle, on how you can reset maintenance lights, on how you can set your selectable tire fill alerts, on how to replace wiper blades. I mean, this is like basic stuff, but it's stuff that can give us fits, right? It's a peek into how these dealerships approach their customer relations. They know that the car business can be an intimidating one for folks, and it's why they've provided so many resources to make it a seamless and easy process for you as you find your next ride. Oh, and if you're taking a look at the prices at the pumps and looking to downsize too, they've got a great pre-owned selection, affordable options for you and your family at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. Our friends at Friesen Brothers, we talk a lot about the 16 locations across the province of Alberta, but but is there one flying under your radar, maybe closer than you think? We wanted to give a shout out to the Friesen Brothers this morning in Barhead and Drumheller, in Edmonton, our hometown, in Fairview, Fort Saskatchewan, Fox Creek, Grand Prairie's got a beautiful one, so does Hannah and High Prairie. And Hinton Hill and Hinton Valley on the way through to Jasper. Don't miss it. Manning, Stony Plain, Sundry, Peace River, and Valley View all call Friesen Brothers, a major player in their communities, family-owned for more than 65 years, Alberta-grown, Alberta-owned. You can learn more about them at Friesen.com. Eden Landscaping wants to remind you that there's so many more options out there for your front yard than that tired old tree and that sod you're just nursing along, trying to keep it alive. It looks brutal. The dandelions have taken over. You know it. But man, oh, man. You don't feel like breaking your back to get that work done. Why not get in touch with Mike and his team today? Ask them about their urban butterfly front yard design. It attracts pollinators. It's eco-friendly, and they feature some of the native plants and grasses appropriate for your region. It's where the trends are going, and it's Eden Landscaping leading those trends at landscapeedmonton.ca. And this next interview is presented by our friends at Apex Automation. They're putting out a call for talented, skilled, ambitious engineers across the country that are looking to make a bigger impact, not just within their company, but with the clients they serve as well. Apex Automation is providing intuitive, fully autonomous solutions to industry and giving people back their time. If you're looking to make a career change, why not make it Apex Automation? You can check out the careers link today at apexautomation.ca. This next story is a difficult one to talk about, no doubt. I know that some of you are survivors of abuse. You've been taken advantage of, in, in many circumstances, over a period of years in school settings. The perpetrators, people you were supposed to be able to trust. This is a high-profile story out of the province of Saskatchewan, specifically Saskatoon, relating to a school formerly known as the Christian Center Academy. It's affiliated with Mile Two Church now it's operating as Legacy Christian Academy. This is the school where at least 18 students have come forward, alleging incidents of abuse, being paddled, uh, so called gay exorcisms, being held in solitary isolation. They've been talked about gaslightings and ongoing perpetual manipulative tendencies by administrators, staff, and teachers at this school. These students that have come forward prompted no doubt in part by a powerful Facebook post by an individual that's agreed to join us today. Sean Kodalmack is one of the alumni of uh, Christian Center Academy. Jillian Kudrick is as well. And the two of them joining us on the record this morning on Real Talk. Can you tell us the story?
3: I was just hanging out with a couple of uh, my friends who had been through the system. And uh, there was a rumor that came up about one of our teachers and his uh, sexual intentions with a few of the students. And the way the, the story was told to me was kind of like, we need to keep this hush hush, it's, you know, we need you know, to keep it quiet. And after that night, I slept on it for a few days and I just kept waking up with rage towards the, the school and the individuals there. And I felt like I just needed to not keep it a, a secret anymore and tell as many people as I could and out him and uh, I woke up, outed, outed him on Facebook, just saying that he uh, was doing sexual inappropriate uh, sexual acts with some of the students. And the, the feedback on that, the comments, the shares, the, the, the reach out on that post went further than most of my other posts. And it really got me thinking <laughs> um, just how well, it just kind of showed how many people were affected and that I wasn't alone and I didn't just have a unique experience and other people had similar experiences. Um, and then that's when Caitlin Erickson, uh, the first student who came forward, reached out to me and said, if you go to the cops, uh, I'll be right behind you. <clears throat> so at that point, we're kind of working up the courage to go to the cops. And, uh, as soon as Caitlin Erickson found out that, uh, John Olboboken was, uh, leading another school in the city that gave her enough courage to go to the cops she reached out to me and then I beelined it to the police station to give them my statement and then it's kind of just snowballed from there more people see that other people have been speaking up it gives us the courage knowing that we're not alone and that's how good the ball got started.
1: Well, I'm hoping that both of you can, can ensure that we're up to the minute with our understanding of where this story is at. I mean, I know that there have certainly been calls and, and, and potentially a criminal investigation underway right now, but but the, the official opposition, uh, the NDP in Saskatchewan, is calling for a government inquiry into this. They want to see funding frozen uh, for the school, and that may just be the tip of the iceberg um, here. And my understanding is that there could be some other court implications as well, which we'll get into. But but Jillian, how, how does this story... Uh, involve you. You're, you're obviously uh, someone who attended this school. Would you, would you tell us your personal story and, and maybe how this is all resonating with you up to the minute?
4: Um, I went to Christian Centre Academy, um, I started in grade two, uh, and then we left when I was in grade nine. Um, I actually wouldn't have said anything, it was something I just kind of built up for years, you know, even family members, some of them didn't even know what we went through, but if it wasn't for Caitlin, Sean, Coy, Cody, a bunch of them, you know, going on the news, I probably would never have said anything at all because it took a lot of courage. I mean, there was a lot of trauma that I didn't want to talk about and I didn't want to deal with. Um, but I guess we're all a team and we can all do this together.
1: So how are you with, with are regards you to with your personal experience, experience there? there? How are you reconciling or, or how are you processing, is a better word, what you're seeing now? I mean, it's no small thing for 18, almost 20 former students to come forward. And, and some of the things that they're sharing are, are, are quite frankly, horrific um are are you you finding some comfort in the sense that you're able to tell your story and that there may be some accountability it's no doubt been a difficult experience for you I would imagine
4: um yes it definitely has been difficult um but like Caitlin said yesterday it's been a long time coming um you know I reached out to Caitlin because I wanted to do something I wanted to make my story told. Um, So I had went to the police. And once I did that, I realized how many more people there were. Um, Even last night, I was getting messages on Facebook saying, how do I make my story told? What do I do first? What steps do I take to do this? So I mean, uh, it's people I haven't talked to in probably 15 years, and they're reaching out to me on Facebook. You know, so I mean, The more we tell our stories the more we talk about it the more we're reconnecting with people who went through the same kind of trauma and you know a lot of us didn't know we were all going through that because in that school and in that church everything was hush hush you know if you had an issue you were to talk to your counselor you know my counselor told me always bite your tongue bite your tongue because i would say something or question authority and right away i was getting in trouble for something i was getting paddled or i was getting sent to the office i was speaking with a counselor you know and I'm sure most other students were doing the same because the more you know we hear their stories it's all the same story they've been put in the exact same situation as us.
1: Sean, you have spoken publicly and openly about your experiences at the school formerly known as Christian Center Academy, now again operating as Legacy Christian Academy. For perspective, people will be interested to know the school received almost a million dollars in funding from the Saskatchewan government last year, about 200 grand of that for COVID support. Their annual funding, more than seven hundred thousand dollars you've talked about the isolation that you experienced. I'm I'm not talking about not being included in a peer group. You were actually physically isolated for extended periods of of time. Would you mind telling us about that and helping us understand what was going on?
3: For sure. Um, so they always, they change their forms of punishment almost daily. Um, and one of their creative, Punishments so they called was detention and when you're born in this kind of school detention for you well, you didn't really experience it you don't you're so isolated from public systems and how other schools operate so you just took it for what it was detention but yeah they took me to one of the, their empty rooms and all that was in there was a, t- a table up against a plain wall i'd have to show up 15 minutes before school um so i didn't run into any of my friends go in the room take my lunches in that room so I'm in there from 9 8, not 8:45 uh, in the morning to 3:45 p.m. and the only person I would see would be my teacher who would come in intermittently just to check up on me and that happened for every day for 2 weeks
1: can you give us a sense Sean of what would have earned you that Confinement, that that solitary, that sort of isolation type circumstance. You remember what it was you were being so called punished for?
3: Uh, I think I wasn't getting my homework done in time. Huh. So uh, we were self, It was a self taught system. Uh, even the teachers weren't even um, licensed teachers. They were just parents within this system. So we basically self taught ourselves and. I'm dyslexic. So you can imagine how difficult that was for me. So instead of getting the help I needed to get through the work, I was being punished. And they thought that was an effective way for motivation.
1: Did you say that there weren't certified teachers?
3: No, they weren't.
1: No, that has been flying under my radar with regards to this story. So these are just people. These are people that got tapped on the shoulder within the church community to, to, to be in charge of educating young people and administering discipline. Correct. Yes. Huh. Jillian, when you left the school, uh, what were those next number of years like for you? Did you, did you enter the public system immediately after?
4: Um, I went to a Catholic school. Um, It was actually right across the park from Christian center Academy. And, you know, it was extremely difficult. I went into grade 10. i had finished grade nine at Christian center. I went into grade 10 and I was so far behind, um, My math was like at a grade six level. My reading level was like a grade five level. And, you know, in Christian center, my, I was supposed to be going into grade 10. So I was so far behind. So, I mean, schoolwork was awful. I was always like with an EA or I was trying to get caught up, which I mean, eventually I did, but it took a lot of work. Um, Also, just, you know, going and being so isolated at Christian Center to going to a normal school, I obviously dressed super strange, you know, because we had a dress code. We had uniforms at Christian Center. So then going to a normal school, I was an outcast. And you, I don't know, it just puts you in a very awful position that no one would want to be in because you don't know what it's like to be in the real world.
1: Do you still go to church? I know it's a personal question.
4: You know, I don't anymore. Do I still believe in God? I believe, yes, there's God, I believe there's something else there, but no, I don't go to church. It kind of ruined it for me.
1: Sean, do you still go to church?
3: No, I don't. No.
1: Is that based on uh, your experience at the school?
3: Yes. I would say it would have a contributing factor. Um, just how given, giving any person a position of power uh, and uh, in an isolated scenario is kind of scary. And it's not just our church that... Um, I don't really agree with it's 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 most churches and organizations because they feel like they their belief is above the law and human rights and I just don't agree with that
1: can you tell me uh both of you but Sean we'll start with you about this class action lawsuit my understanding is that this is a really recent development like like sort of last night into this morning as we're speaking now on this August 10th Wednesday morning Uh, can you share the details with us
3: uh, yeah sure so uh, class action lawsuit has been submitted against the church uh, for 25 million dollars in damages um, again it's it's a, it's been a long time coming um, yeah it's uh, the, the, the the process has begun and we hope just to see some change from it
1: who has joined the class action
3: um, all the Eighteen victims that have come forward. Um, I am aware of more that have come forward since the the news outreach, um, but I don't know the exact number for the the people involved. Jillian,
1: have you joined the suit?
4: I have. Yes. What would account? And so has my
1: younger brother. Uh, okay. As, aside from twenty five million, or or a negotiated settlement, or, or or however this plays out, aside from the financial element, uh, what would accountability? look like to you? Ultimately, what would accountability represent?
4: Honestly, for some of them, I would love to see them behind bars. I think that's where they belong. Um, Money doesn't really do it for me. I'd rather just see them locked up because a lot of them, like the way they treated us, the way they were gaslighting us, the manipulation, isolation, it's sickening. And I think they should be behind bars
1: that's one of the things about this story that, that are that I'm trying to from an interviewing standpoint, I'm trying to cover this adequately, but this is not like one the allegations are not that one teacher had inappropriate sexual relationships with minors. That is one of the allegations, right? It's not just allegations that gay students were ostracized or even expelled, that so-called gay exorcisms were being held. That's one of the allegations students were being paddled students were being isolated i, I mean you, you it, it's it's a real mess and sean i would imagine when you talk about these and i'm going to call them survivors these 18 survivors uh, these 18 alumni uh, from this school and there's probably more how do you wrap your mind around the magnitude of the allegations here
3: it is it is quite daunting um Yeah, it's like the the school started in 1982, and they've been doing these things since then, and it's been going on till even today. And we're hoping that you know the Saskatchewan government steps in and ceases funding for the school, so they don't start another school year. But you can imagine the amount of stories from 1982 to today, and how many students have been affected. It's, I would say, it's in the hundreds of victims.
1: I can't uh, imagine, to be honest with you. I can't. Um, and, I, and I can't imagine uh, whether you want to share or not. And I don't want to make any assumptions, either of you, Jillian or Sean, what some of the blowback must look like and some of the negative feedback, maybe from former students, from staff of that school, from members of the church, from members of the general public, for people who probably believe there's some uh, political element to this. H- have you experienced that as well?
3: The feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. I wouldn't say that's good. Uh, there's uh, too many negative uh, feedback on it. Uh, however, when we were out doing the the press conference yesterday, uh, we did notice a few familiar faces that showed up. Just probably get a, a good wind of what was going on, um, and fishing for it. like one individual was there saying, "Oh, it wasn't so bad." <laughs> The the abuse that was happening there wasn't so bad. What are you guys talking about? Like, is this necessary? And that, you know, angers us, but we just don't give it the time of day because, you know, we have the evidence, we have the stories, we have the shared experiences that prove the people who are ignorant to it and turning a blind eye to it. Kind of proving them
1: wrong. I'm going to venture a guess that the person that's showing up to be the, it wasn't so bad guy probably wasn't the one being subjected to a gay exorcism. Am, am I probably yeah. accurate in making that assumption? It's a rhetorical yeah. question. Jillian, you talked about you and your brother joining this class action. It's a personal questioning. I, all of this is personal. I appreciate both of you being willing to talk about this. How has the rest of your family been with regards to the support here?
4: All my family's been extremely supportive um, when I did want to first, when I first wanted to go make a police statement, I'm like, do I do this? Do I not? Cause I didn't know what kind of attention it was going to bring negative, positive, but all my family has been super supportive. Um, even my brother who hasn't talked about that church or school since we left, I would think um, he decided to go make a police statement. And I mean, you know, it's bringing up lots of trauma. I, 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 wanted, I asked him if he wanted to be on the podcast. He's like, it's not something I really want to talk about right now. So, I right. mean, everyone deals it differently. But, yeah, everyone's been really supportive.
1: And that's all okay, right? I mean, it's it's remarkable that the two of you are, are willing to talk about this. I know that your stories are going to help a lot of people that are wrestling with their own personal experiences here. But I don't take for granted uh, how difficult it can be to to re-trauma I mean a lot of people are being re-traumatized when we talk about this stuff I feel like I don't want to necess- I I don't want to compare this to residential schools I don't think that, that that's productive and it's probably not necessarily 100% accurate but at the same time there are some parallels aren't there like th- there there's the it wasn't so bad voice in Canada about residential schools there's what was the big deal there was the it was building character it's the, it, there's the it they meant well uh you know narrative that we see I mean there are a lot of things that Canadians have been forced to process in the past little while, not just these stories out of Saskatchewan, uh, before I thank you both for your time, Sean, and, and no doubt we'll be circling back on this story, uh, I want to give both of you an opportunity to, to touch on or address something that we may not have talked about. I know that there are so many angles and so many layers to this story that it could be easy to miss something. This will be a national audience that's hearing this in particular, a ton of people in Western Canada. Is there anything that we've missed that's important that they hear?
3: Yeah. Um. Well, if you if if you are if you relate to the stories at all, um, I recommend speaking up, uh, standing up for yourself, take back that power that your abuser has take, you know, taken from you. And you know you'd be surprised how many people support, especially today. You know the the, the focus on mental health these days is a lot more than it has been in previous years. So if there's a if there's a, ever been a good time to come forward and speak up, now's the time.
1: Last word to you, Jillian, my new friend. Anything that we haven't discussed that's important for people to hear?
4: Honestly, I think we kind of hit hit everything on the head. But um, yeah, what Sean was saying, if anyone who was put that through abuse or who did suffer, especially at that school, I would really encourage you to go uh, make a police statement and tell your side of the story because the more the more the merrier
1: yeah that's jillian kudrick uh, sean Codelmack, both of them alumni of saskatoon's christian center academy which is still now operating as a rebranded nice try guys a rebranded legacy christian academy my thanks to you both thank you yeah.
4: thanks for the opportunity
1: and thanks to the audience members that participate in these interviews by submitting your comments by taking in what these courageous people have to say and by sharing your experiences with us uh, you can send us messages off the record you can send us messages on the record you know where to find us talk at dot com. you know glenna right now on our live chat wondering what many are i'm sure how many other schools have the same appalling practices how much public funding is supporting these schools is the government culpable for funding these schools lauren demanding religious accountability now. Donna, I mean, you're stating the obvious, right? But it's obviously <laughs> something that needs. Donna says all schools in Canada should require licensed teachers. <laughs> yeah. Right. That blew my mind in that story. I couldn't believe that. Just people that they're just not even licensed teachers. They're operating there. There are there are 10 things that are being alleged here. And I'm you picking the number out of thin air. But Mm-hmm. So many things being alleged here that would demand the attention of government, police, and the general public. Like, like one of them, like a teacher, a alle- alleged and and criminal investigation. We'll we'll find out. I mean, you can't hide from this type of stuff. There's no statute of limitations on this stuff. But statutory rape is what you call it. In a you know, it, it always feels like we we sort of like. Blur. We we, we massage these phrases to make them more palatable, to make us less uncomfortable, right? Inappropriate sexual relationships with minors. That's called statutory rape. A pedophile does that. Someone who has inappropriate sexual relationships with children is a pedophile. In this circumstance, an alleged pedophile. Let's find out. But this person reassigned or reallocated or found work in a different school? To run away from this? Where have we heard that before? There's another residential school. in AA. I don't want to do a disservice to the residential school conversation, and I don't want to do a disservice to this one, but there are some parallels. People are wondering if this is the exact type of school structure that's being proposed by Danielle Smith in Alberta right now. She says she wants to give more choice, more options to people outside of the public school system. I've shared with you, I myself am a graduate of a private Christian school from preschool to grade nine. And then again, in college and university, different schools, different institutions. I never experienced sexual abuse. I certainly experienced physical abuse. I've never really talked about it publicly. I know people were appalled in our live chat. I saw when Sean started talking about being paddled. That was regular at our school. It was called the strap. You talk to friends of mine. And fellow classmates of mine from those years in those mm-hmm. schools, and an anger still burns.
2: I feel like people our
1: age, like dude, we, thirty we had the five strap years too. ago, we had the strap too. Back grade one, two, three. Was yeah. that a public school or a private school? It was a public school, yeah. You had the strap in a public mm-hmm. school, yeah. Well, I don't think it was
2: openly talked about, but it was in the office.
1: Yeah. Like, can you imagine that now? You know I think of our Christian education class, you you'd, you'd you'd forget to to memorize a Bible verse, a specific assigned verse for the week or a passage, or maybe you'd be on the spot or maybe you'd be shy or maybe you'd have performance anxiety like many people do with public speaking. And when called upon by the teacher, who is also the basketball coach, if you couldn't recite your scripture verses, you were assigned a wall sit. you know those quad burning leg busting workouts where you sit against the wall in the right? Like 90 seconds, two-minute wall sits for like 10, 11, 12-year-old boys and girls that couldn't recite scripture? What? What? Planking, being held in the push-up position for not having your math homework done? This is just bizarre teaching strategies. And I'm not going to start naming names, but I could fill a Friday... I could fill 10 Friday roundtables with former classmates of mine just from this one school. And that school's not the worst, not even by a country mile, People that still to this day, 30, 35, 40 years later, are still carry the scars from that. And I talked to my cousin in particular, who's a proud gay man. What a beauty he is. I'm not going to speak for him, but when we start talking about our time at our private Christian school in Calgary, you can see it. You can see that the veins in his neck start to bulge. It's important that we talk about this stuff. And I'm glad that we have an audience that's up for it. And we appreciate it. You can hit like on this. It helps us make sure that more people see this interview. And you can share this with somebody that you know might benefit from this. It's difficult conversation. It's difficult subject matter. I know that. I know. But I'm grateful that you're here for it, Real Talkers. Our friends at Local Environmental... They've been ensuring that we have important conversations like this one since the very beginning. They were one of the very first sponsors to sign on to Real Talk because they knew how important it was that we have a platform, that we have a venue to really sink our teeth into the stuff that matters Local Environmental Services is family-owned. They have been for more than a quarter century. They believe that communities deserve better than what they're getting, better service, better prices, and more support for local causes. Whether you're looking for a front-load bin or or, or water-hauling services, maybe a landfill run, vacuum trucks, fencing, portable toilets, what have you in Alberta and into Saskatchewan, you can keep it local today. Request a quote at localenvironmental.ca. Hey, coming up tomorrow, it's August 11th, Thursday. It's Miracle Treat Day at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. These are the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. If you're inclined, and please make it so, you can buy a Blizzard and bring health and hope to to local kids in support of the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation, which provides emergency and intensive care, surgical care, and otherwise for young people, for children and youth across Western Canada. They benefit and have benefited to the tune of seven figures thanks to Miracle Treat Day. That's tomorrow. You can pre order if you want to do a big order at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. We talked a lot yesterday about this essay contest, right? <laughs> that the, I, did, I just, I, I know, I know. But I just wanted to revisit this because we had a great take from Anton and we had a great take from Jenny, who both wrote in to talk about this. If you're not necessarily familiar with what we're talking about, this was an essay contest that everyone's trying to distance themselves from. The Speaker of the House at the Legislative Assembly in Alberta says he had nothing to do with it. The Minister, Associate Minister of Children's Services, say it was not our problem. Nobody wants to take responsibility for awarding a bronze medal to an essay that claimed, among other things, that, quote, to try to promote women breaking into careers that men traditionally dominate is misguided and harmful, right? Or what about this, that we should reward families with medals to symbolize valuable achievements of having two or more children? Or or, or what about this one, that it's sadly popular nowadays to think that Albertan children are unnecessary and that we can import, quote, foreigners, to replace ourselves, to replace ourselves. That's a key word there. People are demanding answers here, and the politicians are trying to shirk responsibility. No wonder for an embattled government, for what this is doing to the Alberta brand on a national and international stage. Uh, did you see they're talking about this in American news coverage yesterday? I have, Like, this is cracking. I have news seen lineups it everywhere. in the states, yeah. even as President Donald Trump is having documents seized by the FBI in a no-knock warrant at his Florida mansion. They're talking about the essay contest in Alberta for perspective. And so Anton sends us an email, and he says, just with regards, and Anton, I appreciate you making me think, to the author of this essay, Anton says, I'll acknowledge I know nothing about them and I don't want to project intention on them, but here I go. He says, I want to throw out the possibility that they were maybe doing this as satire, just to grab the attention, maybe not even considering or assuming that they did not stand a chance of winning. He says, I'm reminded of a modest proposal, which I will not get into details about, but those who have read it know. Anyhow, says Anton, entering an essay is one thing, but selecting it as a winner is another. And if they did think that it was satire, they certainly could have marked it as an honorable mention as such with a notice that it was satire after confirmation with the author, Anton says, has a great have a great day to my fellow real talkers. And this one from Jenny, who says, I'm a little shaken. She says, I, I don't know how familiar you are with with a woman by the name of Kieran Dakin. She's a town counselor in Sylvan Lake. It's about halfway between uh El- between Edmonton and Calgary. A beautiful place Sylvan Lake, she says she's a town councilor there. And uh, she was actually hopeful in the UCP leadership race after uh, before being disqualified, in part because it was revealed that that hate group, the soldiers of Odin, had been hanging out in one of her bars in Sylvan, like supplying her bar equipment while wearing their vests. Uh, so Jenny says the article that I've been reading, the news I've seen, shows emails sent to Ms. Dakin from Party Brass, from UCP Party Brass, stating that associations with groups like the Soldiers of Odin are unacceptable because they harm the party's reputation. She wasn't disqualified because these people are racist or anti-Semites. No, no, no. She was disqualified because the UCP can't afford another PR nightmare, because if they do, then the NDP will take over and tyranny will reign for all eternity and we'll all die or something like that. Jenny says that that whole thing happened. And I thought, well, at least it could have gone a lot worse. Right. It's almost guaranteed they're barking up the wrong tree with Dakin, but at least they're barking. Right. And then the essay contest. Jenny says, now, in no way am I suggesting that our current ruling government are are Nazis, nor am I suggesting the writer of that heinous essay is a Nazi. The term is thrown around with callous disregard for how truly, profoundly horrific the Nazis were. But I am saying, however, that the historical echoes are bloody near deafening right now. Jenny says, in 1938, Adolf Hitler created a program in Germany called the Mother's Cross, and it was designed to encourage German women to have lots of babies. Uh, There was an arm of the Hitler Youth actually called Faith and Beauty, which was uh, intended to train 18-year-old girls on how to be excellent mothers of many children. Another part of the program was the actual Mother's Cross to award women medals based on how many children they had. Women who had five children earned themselves a bronze medal. Women who had six children got a silver medal. And women who had seven or more children received a gold medal. Jenny says, I couldn't make this up if I tried. This is an actual thing that actual Nazis did. The point that I'm trying to reach here is that fascism is very much alive and well in Alberta right now. She says, please don't be complacent about this. You know, I think it's easy to say that this government is rotten to the core and be sort of callous or even flippant about it. But at the same time, I can't think of the last time that I went into town without hiding my Megan David, my star of David. Jenny says, I love living in the middle of nowhere. But lately, I've been thinking that once my reasons for living out here are gone, I'll be moving to the big city. That from Jenny, who sent us that email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. I feel like giving out the email of the month award early for August. I like that one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Jenny. Uh, We're going to get in touch with you. We're going to get your mailing address. Wherever it may be, we can ship rural. And uh, we're going to send you one of our Real Talk Studio mugs. We appreciate you really getting personal on that and putting that story on our radar. We talk about never forget. We talk about never again. And like Jenny says, I'm not calling this government Nazis. She says, I'm certainly not calling the author of this essay Nazis. I like that line in her when she said, uh, where is it here? She said, the term is thrown around, and I agree with her 100%. The term is thrown around with callous disregard for how truly, profoundly heinous the Nazis were. But if we promise to never forget Let's look back on that mother's cross program from 1938 and find it relevant to what that essay contained. It's why we got to talk about this stuff. We appreciate your emails and we appreciate how you drive the editorial content on this show. We're going to wrap with something that makes us happy. Every Wednesday, we head out to the mountains, courtesy of our friends at, at Tourism Jasper. And we remind ourselves about the natural, inherent, and restorative beauty in the beautiful Rocky Mountains and Jasper National Park. It's my Jasper memories. And in this week's edition, we want to tell you about an opportunity to roll down the roof. This is one of Jasper's newest experiences. A new way for you to experience the all-time and enduring beauty that is Jasper. These are vintage tours with a modern twist, open top touring. You can climb on board. These are brand new custom vehicles and explore the people and the places and the moments that have made the Rocky Mountain town of Jasper into what it is today. Uh, Pursuits vintage inspired automobiles. So these are brand new, but Johnny, they look like they're 80 years old and they are so cool. Mm-hmm. They have the look and feel of the 1930s, including that fully open top roof. And the guide is wearing like a a, a time period costume. So you're going to feel like you're stepping back. But they also come with things like modern comforts, you know, power windows and climate control and even USB charging ports for your phone. You don't want to have your phone die on you when you're trying to get the most Instagrammable moment of all time. Right. You can experience the rich characters, the fascinating stories, the gorgeous views and photo ops at literally every turn. It's the perfect way to explore the Rockies. And if it's inclement weather, no worries. They've got glass or canvas top roofs so your plan can stay in place. So many wonderful photo spots. The guides know them all. You can get small groups, intimate groups, all the way up to 20 people. It's perfect for a a corporate getaway, maybe a stagette, a wedding, an anniversary or a special family time together in beautiful Jasper. If you wind up taking one of these open top tours, we would love to see your videos. You can use the hashtag on Instagram or Twitter, MyJasper, and the hashtag RealTalkRJ, and you could be featured in a future edition of My Jasper Memories presented by our friends at Tourism Jasper. Coming up tomorrow, we're grateful that he was willing to reschedule. We won't get back into our technical glitches on Friday, but we had a date with Jean Charest to review the conservative leadership debate. It was the last one in English and en français. Jean Charest joins us on Thursday. Plus, on Friday, we're going to be talking about some of this horrific vitriol, the threats that women are receiving. Journalists, particularly of color in Canada, will shine the spotlight on there before the week's up. Make it a great day, Real Talkers.
0: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive Producer Josh Dunford. Technical producer John Hicks. General Manager Katie Cook Chivers. Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources Lena Shepherd. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harman Kandola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta, on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.